Hey, would you open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1? Uh, we're going to go through verses 6 all the way down to verse 12, if the Lord wills. We're, this morning we're going to be talking about joy through trials. Joy through trials. Now, I don't know where in the world it came from, but our six-year-old son, uh, who just started kindergarten, has been saying something, a phrase that has been really uh, bothersome. Maybe it's from our neighbor's kids, maybe it's from classmates, but he's been saying this phrase and it's really irked and just kind of make my skin crawl. It really bothers me. It's not a bad word. It's not an F-bomb or an S-bomb or whatever kind of bomb. You want to know what the word is and what the phrase is? You don't care about me. That's right. You don't care about me. And anytime we ask him to do something that is somewhat uncomfortable for him or something that he doesn't want to do at all, he comes out with this phrase, you don't even care about me. You don't care about me. And hey, go brush your teeth. Oh, you don't care about me. Hey, go take a bath. You don't care about me. I mean, something... You know, we're not even raising our voice, we're not yelling at him, we're not scolding him, but any type of correction, any type of reproof, he comes back with this, you don't care about me. Hey, Ezzy, time to put the iPad away. You don't care about me, right? Hey, hey, can you clear your plate and put it in the uh, sink? You don't care about me. You know, in his uh, six-year-old mind, uh, a brain, by the way, which is not fully developed, the full, especially the full, full uh, frontal cor cortex. In his six-year-old mind, he equates the slightest discomfort or not getting exactly what he wants as us not caring about him. I mean, it got so bad that the first couple of times we, uh, Renee, just embraced him and hugged him and told him, you know, we, you know, as we care about you so much, we love you so much. Did you know that mommy had like two miscarriages before we had you? You are a miracle. You are a gift. You know, we, and he was crying and Renee was getting teary eyed. And we just want to express how much we care and how much we love about him and how much we love him. But, you know, and we thought that was it. It was over. But the following day, as could you, Put your slippers on for school. Oh, you don't care about me. And, and sometimes um, in our thoughts, um, oftentimes we may not say it, but we echo the same sentiment and we share the same sentiment as my six-year-old son, that when we go through trials or we go through correction or we go through uh, re reproof or rebuke, our answer to God is, God, you don't care about me. Why would you allow this to happen? You don't care about me. You don't care about the trials that I go through. Well, uh, the good news this morning is that God cares. And it's because that God cares that even through the trials, He will not only get you through it. Remember God's uh, the message last week that the power of God will guard you, right? Because you have this imperishable, you have this unfading inheritance in God. Not only does He um, guard you. But listen, through the trials, He will give you joy. So let's turn to our text this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, 
verses 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated, indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news, the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. You know, the purpose of studying the Bible, just like any good literature, is this principle called author intentionality. That's to say that we have to come to terms and understand the intent of what the author is trying to say. And one of the ways that we do that is through this discipline or this um, tool called discourse analysis. Now, discourse analysis is where you trace the thought flow, where you trace the argument of the author and try to understand what the author is saying. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, especially chapter 1, verse 6 to 12, especially verses 6 through 8, there is this um, idea called a concessive idea, all right, or a concessive statement. Peter, he's making the statement, and uh, what a concessive statement uh, basically means is that there's two components to it. Number one, there is an obstacle, and number two, there is a surprising outcome, okay? An obstacle and a surprising outcome. For example, the obstacle might be, even though I did not brush my teeth last night after I had that garlic pizza. That's the obstacle, the surprising result, yet I still have minty fresh breath, okay? Another example could be, <clears throat> Even though, here's the obstacle, I haven't worked out in six years. Yet, the surprising outcome is I could still do a 100 push-ups, okay? That's what we call a concessive statement. Now, uh, one of the giveaways for concessive statements in the Bible or in literature is that uh, there, there's the keywords though, although, even though, or in spite of. Now, in our text this morning, what Peter is saying is that there is an obstacle. The obstacle is that we have, in verse 6, is that we have been grieved. 
we've been distressed, we've been disheartened by what? Various trials. There's different types of trials, physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual, um, relational trials that we go through, various trials. That's a big obstacle. And uh, trials are supposed to what? Make us sad. It's supposed to depress us. It's supposed to defeat us. It's supposed to um, get us down and, and down in the dumps. And we're supposed to be pessimists and not experience joy. And Peter says, hey, even though you go through various trials, the surprising outcome is what? Is that we rejoice, right? In this, you greatly rejoice. And later on, verse 7 and verse 8, Peter says, even though you have not seen him, yet you love him. Obstacle is we have not seen God with our own eyes. The surprising outcome, the surprising result is what? Yet you love him. And then it says, even though you do not see him now, yet you believe in him and you rejoice. And here's the main point for us to digest and to meditate in as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 12. Would you write this down? God gives us joy through the testing of our faith. The creator of the universe, the author and perfecter of our faith, God himself, he provides, he graciously gives us joy in the midst of our trials, which is the testing of our faith. You see, God just doesn't want us to kind of coast through life or he just doesn't want us to barely make it and barely survive and have a stink attitude, right? Uh, if you're a parent, you know, if you ask your kids to do, to do their chores and they get it done, but throughout they have stink attitudes, they have, you know, they have no joy, they give you the stink eye, they just kind of snap through everything, they shut the door and they slam the rubbish can, it's like, ugh. There's no joy in that. But listen, through the trials that we go through, the various trials, God gives us joy. And here's the first point for us. Um, would you type this out or write this in your notes? Distresses are designed by God for our good. They're designed by God. Your distress your trials, your adversities, your anxieties that you go through, the problems, the drama that you and I encounter, they're designed by God and so designed by God for our good. Let's read verse 6 again. It says, In this you rejoice, there's that key word, you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The longer that I've lived, the longer I've realized that anything that is worthwhile, anything that is trustworthy, must first be tested. Your relationships, 
with your children, your relationship, your spouse. If it's worthwhile, it must be tested. You can't, when you first get married, you, you go to your honeymoon and you guys spend the first week, the first two weeks together and it's all bliss. But guess what? You have to go back to life. Your spouse goes back to work and they're going to encounter different people. They're going to people encounter people of the opposite sex. There might be attraction or whatever, but you put in anything that's worthwhile. It must be tested your health. Okay. It it's trustworthy. And it, if it's worthwhile, it must be tested. You, you guys know that I just had my uh, surgery in July for a compound fracture in my wrist. I have seven screws in here in my wrist. And it's worthwhile to exercise and get good use and regular strength and vitality in my wrist again. So guess what? I've been going through physical therapy and, you know, I did a strength test. Right hand grip is 125 pounds of force. And three weeks after my surgery, they did my left one from 125 to 25. Guess what? I had to keep working. I went from 25, they went to 50, and now I'm at 75 to 80, 80 pounds of strength in my left hand. And I've been stretching it out, I've been working it out, I've been testing it out. How much more for our faith? See, Paul, Peter says, in this you rejoice. And remember, this is not a command because uh, in these first 12 verses, the, the first command doesn't happen to happen until verse 13, where Peter says, hey, set your hope or hope in Christ, hope in Jesus. Uh, and what Peter is, it's super cool, is that Peter, he he's saying this in the indicative or like, hey, in this you rejoice. He's making a statement of fact. And it's significant because listen. You need to catch this. Often the word of God creates what it describes. Let there be light spoken. Boom, there was light. Let there be separation. Boom, there was separation. Jesus, when he went through the storm, right? He said, be still. Boom, it was still. And there's something about uh, Peter encouraging and, and commending the, these elect exiles and tell them, hey, in this you rejoice. What is this? What is the antecedent of this? What's this referring to? It refers to the fact that they've been born again according to the mercy of God, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What's this referring to? Not only that they've been born again, but we, we have an inheritance that God is protecting, that God is guarding an inheritance that's imperishable, that's undefiled, that's kept in heaven for you. And even though we go through trials, we rejoice in the fact that we are saved. Peter says here, in this you rejoice for a little while. What's this little while referring to? In this life that we live, whether we live to 80 years, 90 years, or five years, or six months, doesn't matter. The trials that we go to in comparison to eternity, 
It's but a little while. There's grief in the Christian life. We're not naive. We're not um, just closing our eyes and plugging our ears. La, la, la. Everything is all good. Don't worry. Be happy. It's like, no. Peter says, you guys are going through trials, but you rejoice in this, that you are saved. The fact that you're your soul is secure and that you are forever loved, that you've been born again by the Spirit of God. And Peter says here, if necessary. What kind of necessity is this? Who or what is making the distress of these trials necessary? And the answer is God. Peter makes it plain that Christians, we go through distress, we go through trials, and it only happens if God wills it. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that be what? God's will for doing evil. You might suffer for doing right and you might not, but the ultimate choice that it is God's choice if the Lord wills it. If God would will it, we will or we won't. Let's read later on in 1 Peter. It says, Therefore, let us, those who suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In other words, Peter is teaching that the sovereign will of God, it governs all the trials that we go through. Therefore, there's a design in the trials. And it's not ultimately the desire of evil men or the design of Satan, which are real, but the trials that we go through, they are designed by God. Remember the book of Job, where Job, in an instant, loses his children, loses his livestock, loses his health, loses his um, wealth, loses his wife, his life tells him, curse God and die. Do you remember how Job 1 first starts off? Where God, there's the counsel of God, the counsel of Yahweh, where God tells Satan, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And remember, Satan had to what? Ask permission. Well, he's only blessing you, he's only praising you because you blessed him with good health, you blessed him with, with wealth. And if, if I touch him, if I take these things away, he'll curse you to your face. And what did God say? Okay, you can touch him, but don't kill him. It's the will of God that whatever that we go through in life, the suffering, the trials, the adversities, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everywhere in between, it's God's will, if necessary, and the reason that God allows us to go through suffering, it says in 1 Peter 1.7, is that the genuineness of our faith. If gold, which is perishable, now Peter, he juxtaposes it. He says, if gold that is perishable, if it is tested by fire, if it is tested, if you test the purity of gold from any impurities, you burn it out so that only pure gold arises and any impurities are burned off. 
How much more for your faith? You see, when we go through trials, we go through adversity, it, it prunes any impure motives so that we don't follow God because of the good feelings we get about God, but we follow God for who He is. When we go through trials and we come through the end of it and our faith has been tested by fire, we don't love God because of what God does for us. We don't love God because of the blessings that He's given us. We love God for who God is. That despite the trials, this great big obstacle, what is the obstacle? Going through grievous uh, trials. You've been grieved by various trials. What is the surprising outcome? In this you rejoice. And what this verse tells us about our distress is that our faith would be proven to be genuine, right? There's a design in your distress, as a, in your trials as a Christian that God wills them, but God wills them for our good. Now, this raises obviously some troubling questions um, and we're not playing games here. We're not here to mess around. We're talking about real life. We're talking about your life and my life that's real. So you mean to tell me, uh, John, that, that God wills the divorce of, of my marriage? Does God will your cancer? Does God will your same-sex attraction? Does God will the rebellion of your child? Does God will the loss of your job? Does God will the chaos and the injustice that's happening in Afghanistan and what's happening all around the world? Well, yes and no. The answer is that yes, He does will it, but no in the sense that He does not delight in pain. He does it for his own sake. He does not command sin or he doesn't approve of sinning, but he allows these things. He wields these things in the sense that if he could prevent any of those things, but sometimes he does not, but rather, listen, he guides and because of his higher designs. Remember the Bible says, just as the heavens are high above the earth, so is his thoughts higher than our thoughts, so are His ways higher than our ways. What God designs is that the suffering and the pain that we go through, it tests our faith to make sure that it is genuine, to make sure that we follow God for who He is, that we love God holy, holy as He is, not just for the stuff we can get from God, not that God becomes a means towards uh, wealth, not that God becomes a means through a healthy marriage or a good life or financial security, but we worship and we love God for who God is. Now, number two, would you write this down? Enjoy the blessing of loving Jesus by faith, not by sight. Enjoy the blessing of loving Jesus by faith and not by sight. Now, when we think about blessing, hashtag blessed life, hashtag too blessed to be stressed, right? Um, 
There's another hashtag, lucky we live in Hawaii. And a lot of Christians that I know on Instagram, they put blessed we live in Hawaii, right? The hashtag blessed we live in Hawaii. What do you usually, usually think about when we think about blessing? We think about um, physical health. Uh, we think about friends. We think about material possessions. We think about the roof over our head, the clothes on our back, the food on our table. But Ephesians 1.3 says that there is a spiritual blessing that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world, that He has forgiven us, that He has redeemed us, that He has adopted us. Now, remember the concessive statement? There's an obstacle and there's a surprising result. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, yet you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, and what else? You rejoice with joy. See, God gives great joy through our trials that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of our souls. What is the obstacle? We have not seen God. We, hasn't, we haven't physically touched him. We haven't seen the crucifixion. We haven't seen the miracles. We haven't seen the feeding of the 5,000. Though we have not seen him, but what? We love him. I love my Savior. I love Jesus with all my heart, even though I can't see him. And look at verse the second clause of verse 8. Though you do not now see him. At first, it's in the aorist tense, all right, in, in Greek. Now it's in the present tense. Currently, I do not see God. I do not see Jesus, but I believe in Him and I rejoice with joy. When I sing, I sing to a crucified Savior that I cannot embrace. When I pray, when you and I pray, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you pray to a Lord that we cannot see. But listen to me, there's a great blessing when we believe and we love God by faith and not by sight. And when we go all in on God, you know, there's a term when you buy something you know, whether it's Storage Wars, that TV show, or when you buy a car or you buy a piece of property, you buy a piece of land, it's called sight unseen. Now, that's a paradox right there, right? Sight, you see, but it's unseen. Where you buy something without inspecting it, when you, when you purchase something without um, looking at it. And that is a crazy big risk, you know, imagine buying a house sight unseen without seeing the property, without seeing the land, without seeing the condition. Is it turnkey or is it a fixer-upper? You put your whole life savings to buy a house or even marriage, right? I know some cultures, your parents choose your spouse for you and that's a crazy thing to put your life and your marriage to commit to a person for the rest of your life, for a person you haven't even seen, and especially in our culture where appearance is so, and we're such a visual society. Well, 
Jesus says that there is a great blessing when even though we do not see him, we have not seen him, we do not see him now, we love him, we believe in him, we rejoice in him, even as we're going through these trials. Look at John chapter 20, verse 27. Jesus says, uh, the context of this is that uh, Jesus was just resurrected, remember? That after Jesus resurrected, he spent 40 days here on earth. And verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. I want you to check this out. Verse 29, Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet had believed. Thomas, for three straight years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he saw Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He hung out with Jesus. He fellowshiped with Jesus. They slept, you know, together out in the fields with his disciples. Yet he could not and he did not believe and how much more for you and for me for those of us who put our faith our trust our hope in our unseen resurrected savior there is a blessing you know our text says in first peter that prophets they search they inquired what person or time the spirit of christ would come and be revealed and that the prophets didn't do it they didn't serve themselves, but they served you. Look what Paul says about the spiritual blessing, about understanding and being revealed the gospel. Ephesians 1 verse 8, which God lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There is a spiritual blessing along with election, along with predestination, along with redemption, along with the forgiveness of sins, along with adoption, along with being sealed with the Holy Spirit. Church, listen, there is a blessing. Jesus says, blessed are those who will believe in me even though they have not seen in me. There is a blessing of being revealed the mystery of God's will in the gospel. Now, the word mystery, musturion in Greek, it's used a lot different biblical, biblically of how we use mystery. The way that we use mystery is like uh, it's an enigma. It's a conundrum. I don't know. You put a sock, you put a pair of socks, you put two socks in the dryer, and when it's dried, only one sock comes out. It's a mystery. How does it happen? That's how we use the word mystery. But the way the mystery is used in the, new t in the Bible, it's, it means that it's something that was concealed, something that was hidden, something that was kept, but now has been revealed. In other words, God had this plan to save all of humanity to bring about a new creation, to bring about a new heaven, to bring about a new earth, to have the kingdom of God here on earth through 
the Messiah, through the chosen one, through the anointed one, through the good news of Jesus Christ. And listen, like me, sometimes when you read through the Bible, you read through the prophets. You see Isaiah, who's, who saw a vision of God, right? I saw the Lord seated on the throne, and his, the train of His robe filled the temple with His glory. But yet, Isaiah did not grasp or understand the full revelation. He did not get the spiritual blessing of the full revelation and disclosure of God's gospel through Jesus Christ. You think about Moses, who would talk to God like uh, audibly. You think about Israel and how they were, they saw the pillar of fire by night and the cloud of, the cloud by day. You see God opening up the Red Sea. You see all these miracles, but listen, none of them got the spiritual blessing of understanding the full and experiencing the full disclosure of the gospel that for all times the prophets they inquire they search but they didn't they didn't get the blessing of the gospel even it says in our text in verse 12 that angels angels who are in the heavenly realms angels all day and night they're in the presence of God they long to look they're like peanut butter jelly. They're jealous. They're anxious. They're like, how would it feel like to be redeemed? How would it feel like to be restored by the grace of God? They, they don't experience it. And they long to look at your salvation in the gospel that is in Christ Jesus. So I want to close our time in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Jesus just sent out the disciples and the disciples came back and they did ministry. They casted out demons. They, uh, they had all the spiritual authority. They preached the gospel. People got saved. And Jesus says something very interesting. He says, do not marvel or do not rejoice that you have spiritual authority, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, like, man, we rejoice in different things. When church is good, awesome. We rejoice when someone gets saved. That's amazing. Heaven rejoices. Luke 15, right? If one sinner repents. But Jesus says, don't marvel. Don't rejoice in your spiritual authority. Don't rejoice that you do stuff for God. Don't you rejoice that you make an eternal difference. Rejoice have that your names are written in the book of life. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time, O oh Lord God, where your word cuts down. Lord, whatever problems, anxieties, adversities, trials that are grieving your people, I pray right now for the joy of the Lord to be their strength. So Lord, would you fill your people right now in the name of Jesus, would your Holy Spirit not only stand beside them to help them, but would you fill your people that even though we go through trials, we can rejoice because you give us a joy. That, Lord, in our salvation, oh Lord Jesus, the fact that you saved us for all of eternity, Lord, we are forever loved, we are forever accepted, we are forever yours because of Jesus Christ. So Lord, would you seal that right now Lord, I, I pray that even though we don't see you, 
we have not seen you. We do not see you with our eyes, but Lord, we love you. We believe in you. We rejoice in you, O Lord God, because you alone have words of eternal life. So Father, I thank you for um, each and every single person. And I, I pray, Lord, for your blessings to be upon them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.